chapters 2 and 3, but I do not know how far we're going to get. So let's just dig right in. This premise, and you've heard this before, but for whoever's listening to the podcast, the premise of this study is based upon the author being the half-brother of Jesus. As young adults, they knew each other. They either lived with each other or close to each other. Jesus did not wait for his public ministry to live godly. I'm going to ask you a trick question. Did Jesus have faith? Everybody's looking at me dumbfounded. <laughs> well, let me give you a hint. That's a trick question. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Did Jesus have faith? <laughs> okay, we're just going to leave that one alone. <laughs> And ultimately, James was saved as an adult, and we use that verse when Jesus was inside of his uh, earthly ministry, his brothers did not believe in him. We talked about him having siblings, and uh, so the, these slides were up last week, but we had trouble with the beginning PowerPoint. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what is, what is, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking after himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James was looking into the face of the word and came up short, just like John comes up short. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So here's a verse. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit one's widows in affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You figure Jesus did that. He took care of his mother, the widow, and he took care of his younger siblings. And we know Jesus did that because James tells us, if anyone knows, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I'm sorry, i got the King James burning in my head and I can't even read it. Here's another verse. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. And you can read that and go on. And... There was no affluence in the carpenter's house. There was probably no affluence for most of the people that lived in the town of Nazareth. And I can picture James, and keep in mind that top verse, I can picture James saying to Jesus, Jesus, we hardly have enough food for ourselves, and you're taking care of those other people? For Jesus, who knew to do good, he did it. And we'll come back to another slide like that. James' original audience was for the Hebrew believers, and we know that because he mentioned some interesting personalities in Scripture and didn't have to give any introductions. James was the audience of the only complete Jew. We use the phrase complete Jew when we're thinking about a Jewish person who's received Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But Jesus was complete in that he did not to come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law, and he did that. James is watching all this stuff for all those years, and every time came up short. You know, in the, in the early church, they referred to James as old camel knees. And has anyone ever heard that before? Why was he old camel knees? Because he spent so much time praying. 
James begins with James, a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ unto the 12 tribes scattered abroad, greeting. He's reflecting back on all those different scenarios and how he's come up short. And now he's an older guy. He's basically uh, the, the leader of the apostles when you study Acts chapter 15. It wasn't Peter that was, that was pontificating. It was James. And so now he's taking the, the benefit of all these life's experiences and putting them into the scripture with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've told you many, many times that before I was saved, I was pure trash. I was a derelict. And someone asked me the question, because you live that life, does that disqualify you from telling your kids to keep their nose clean? I said, no, that reinforces what I have to tell those kids for a couple of reasons. First of all, they need to hear that. But second of all, if they've got an inclination like their father, they could fall into the same rut. So here's James. And we come into chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. NIV says faith without works is useless. I don't know how they came up with that one because we're going to talk about that shortly. You've heard the faith referred to as dead faith, demonic faith, and dynamic faith. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And the book of James had been controversial for many, many years. Martin Luther couldn't see how it could possibly be part of the canon, and he finally figured it out in that Paul was talking about salvation, and James was talking about life after salvation. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are foreordained to good works. But if someone says, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? The devils also believe and tremble or shudder. There's your demonic faith. We see dead faith and demonic faith. When Satan was tempting Jesus, he would say, if you be the Son of God, you know, turn these uh, rocks into bread, if you be the Son of God, that word if can be translated two ways. It can be translated conditional, like if I'm outside right now and I'm wet, I'll get cold. But it also means since. And so Satan believed, he said, since you're the Son of God, go ahead and do these things. When Jesus was talking to that maniac, the Gadarenes, they said, don't trouble us before our time. They knew that he was the son of God. And they respected him, they trembled. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? King uh, NIV. King James says dead, and I always go back to the Greek because it's not a question of flipping a coin and picking your favorite translation. They use the word necros, all right? And there's necropolis. If you drive in that direction, you pass the Presbyterian church, you see a cemetery. If you're driving through New York City, I think it's Brooklyn, you can drive for miles and you see gravestones. 
That's a necropolis. It's a city of the dead. And there's a, an ancient monument that refers to a necropolis. But this is the, the word dynamic somehow moved. This is the verse that I want to hone into. You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. The controversy was, James was saying, as some people might interpret it, that you need to have works. And a lot of people believe that these days. And if you say eternal security is my hobby horse, that's, that's your opinion, but I will tell you something. Security of the believer flows into every aspect of every doctrine. I was reading this week about Samuel, and I heard a preacher many, many years ago talking about the death of Saul. So let me ask you a question. Who thinks Saul was saved? We know that he was saved because God answered his prayers. In John chapter 9, the, the man that was born blind, he said, we know that Jesus does not listen to sinners. And Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if his prayers were answered, now it's very different than somebody saying, God, I'm praying that the weather is wonderful today, and if it happens, did God answer my prayer? There may have been you know, thousands of other people praying that same prayer, but the Bible talks about God answering his prayer. But he committed suicide. Did that disqualify him? And that might be the question running around in your heads right now. When Saul had the, the uh, kingdom taken away from him, there's one episode where he calls on the widow, uh, the witch from Endor, and she calls up Samuel from the grave. Now, I'm going to go do a little detour, David, and then I'm going to come back here to Saul. When the baby of David and Bathsheba died, David got up and he said, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. And we use that to say that baby went straight to heaven. Well, the baby went to paradise and then after Jesus uh, ascended, but that's, that's, that's an, a nit. Samuel, who thinks Samuel was saved? Okay. First thing Samuel said to Saul when he, when he had the, the, ne the necromancer talking to the dead, when he had the witch call him up, why did you disturb me? Now in Luke's gospel, this is a long explanation to get this across, okay? In Luke's gospel, the Bible talks about Lazarus, who was taken to the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man who woke up in torment. Now, those are your choices. There's no middle ground. If Samuel was called up from torment, do you think he'd start by saying, why did you disturb me? No, he would say, hey, thanks, pal. But then Samuel prophesied. And he said, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Where was Samuel? The bosom of Abraham. Where was Saul going to be? With Samuel, bosom of Abraham. Now, 
faith systems can go down different, different ways. There's a man who is, my, is part of our Perkins Bible study, and he is an observant Jew. And when the study is over, he and I stay, and I just, I just let him talk. And he said, there are three prayers that everybody, that everybody in our, our faith uh, learns. And it was a thank you, thank you, thank you. And the one sounded so much like the passage in Luke's gospel of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I, the first one was, I thank God that, you're, that you've given me a living soul. I can't remember the second one, but the third one was, I thank God that I'm a righteous man. So that's a Jewish faith system. I grew up in a Catholic faith system where salvation is obtained by baptism, which is not true. Salvation is gained through faith. But then I can lose my salvation depending upon how badly I sin. Mortal sin, venial sin, we're not going to go down that, that rabbit trail. But there's a faith system that is flawed. Does that mean all Catholics are lost? No. Where do Catholics go when they die? If they're saved, they go to heaven, and if they lost, they go to hell. John, you grew up in an Amish system, and there's a lot of works cooked into, into that faith system. If you're a Hindu, if you behave yourself, you come back as a, a nicer being, and if you don't behave yourself, you could be a frog or a flea or a mosquito or something like that. And so people who subscribe to a works faith system will sink their teeth into these verses the absolute wrong way. So let's get into them. When was Abraham saved? Chapter 15 of Genesis or chapter 22 of Genesis? And when was he circumcised? All right? So, James 2. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? Works. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And we're going to answer this question in a few slides. Who considered Abraham righteous by what he did. Okay, we're going to get to that one. Now here you have Genesis 15. Abraham believed, Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He was considered righteous by whom? The answer is right there in that, in that verse. Who considered Abraham righteous? Two letters. He. Who's he? God. Abraham believed the Lord and God credited to Abraham as righteousness. So was he saved in chapter 15 or chapter 22? He was saved in chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, come with me to chapter 22. We're going to read through that. And we're going to then answer the question, who considered Abraham a saved man by what he did? Here we are, Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Interesting, because he had two physical sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Take your only son, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. 
Now, I find that also interesting also. He didn't say go to Mount Moriah. He said go to the region of Moriah. The reason I find that interesting is because the temple was built on Mount Moriah. But the region is a little bit different. And we're going to see that as we dig through this thing. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you into the region of Moriah. But God is going to show him a specific knoll, hilltop in Moriah's region. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Why were they going to the region of Moriah? Sacrifice whom? Isaac. And yet Abraham is believing, wasn't doing, he was, Abraham was believing that somehow he was going to follow what God asked him to do and somehow Isaac was coming back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from me, your son, your only son. So to answer that one question, who considered Abraham righteous by what he did? We see right here, God did. Of course, God got the hint in verse 15, chapter 15 as well. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So God called that place, the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the, mount, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I look at that and I ask a question, was that particular knoll in the region of Moriah called Calvary? On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What will be provided? What the angel said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sea and the sand in the seashore, and your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Bathsheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. 
Who considered Abraham righteous by what he did? First of all, God. Second of all, Abraham was ready to slay his son. I can picture that knife raised, or maybe like this. I don't know where the knife position was exactly, but he was ready. Abraham realized his faith in a very specific way because he was ready to kill his son, the son of promise, the son that was born when he was 100 years old. Now, what about Isaac? He realized dad was saved because he's sitting, he might have been kneeling, bound, whatever it was, and he knows that he was a goner. Now, what about those two servants? I'm sorry. There's no way. Abraham was over 100 years old. Hebrew says he was as good as dead, and there's Isaac in his prime, and Isaac is going to climb up on that altar. Isaac's going to say, how can a 100-year-old tie somebody who's resisting? Isaac was showing his faith too, but we're talking about Abraham's faith. Now, what about those two servants? When Abraham and Isaac came back down from the region of Moriah, do you think they told them what was happening up there? I think so. And so the people, here's the punchline, the people around that person that was supposedly saved, the people around that person realized that he was saved by what he did. That's the punchline in this chapter of James. Just like myself, when I was saved, the people that knew me before me, they would say, God did a great work in his life. My family, you know, the immediate family, brothers, sisters, mom and dad, they would say, John finally grew up. They didn't see the the sanctification. They didn't see the, the supernatural. They just saw that John finally grew up. That, that's an aside. Let's come back to our lesson here. Sometime later, now we're into chapter 22, and we're going to answer that question, was Abraham saved chapter 15 or chapter 22? So, sometime later we read that, and we read that, and now we're going to ask the question about circumcision. Chapter 17. 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. 22, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And here we are right in the middle of chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. Now, keeping the covenant sounds like there's something that he had to do but it was a one-sided covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, you're going to have as many kids as the sand of the sea. He said, you're going to have real estate. And he said, by you, many of the nations will be blessed. And then God caused a deep sleep to come over Abraham. And when he was asleep, there were certain animals that God asked Abraham to assemble. And God divided those animals. He bisected them and a flame walked between the two. The covenant back there was, 
We're going to make an, an agreement and we're going to kill this animal and we're going to separate and we're both going to walk through it because if we break the covenant, that's what's going to happen to you. But Abraham didn't walk through that. It was just the Lord. This is a sign of the covenant. Just like the, the Noah covenant, I'm not going to flood the, the, destroy the world by water again. There was a rainbow and it was the sign of the covenant. It wasn't the covenant itself. And so here we have the question of circumcision. And again, I'm becoming more and more sensitive to Old, script, Old Testament scriptures because of this guy that, I, that I'm, I'm praying for. In our Bible study, okay? So verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, before I get to Romans, when the 12 sons of Jacob were grown, and they had one sister, her name was Dinah, and Dinah was raped. And the family, the, the man, the prince that raped her said, I want her to be my wife. And Simeon and Levi said, well, that's all fine, well, and good, but we have this covenant thing, and you have to be circumcised. So they all get circumcised, and while they're in desperate pain, Simeon and Levi go in and kill them all. Now, Abraham was 100-plus years old. Hebrew says he was as good as dead. But I'm guessing that any time he got a prick or a cut, it hurt. Okay. I can't imagine taking a knife to myself, especially in those special spots. Abraham did that by faith. But he didn't do it so he could be saved. He did it because he was saved. Back again to Glenn Yoder, Mom, do I have to? Only if you don't want to. So let's continue on, and we now have Romans. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. The Holy Spirit took my heart. The book of Ezekiel said he took out my heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. Jesus did that for me. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. So who saw the salvation of Abraham? Chapter 15, it was God. Chapter 17, the circumcision. I don't think Abraham did that to himself with an audience, so he realized it. And then chapter 22 on Mount Moriah, on the, the region of Moriah, Abraham, Isaac, the servants, and us. James 2. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. I truly hope that you grasp what I'm saying and not what that verse appears to be saying. When you see somebody who's living a godly life, you have to say to yourself, he's living that way because he's saved, not in order to be saved, because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So by faith, you see that twice, and in Hebrews you see that phrase many, many times, by faith. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Down in verse 31, 
and we're going to see Rahab again in James chapter 2, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So we're going to contrast Abraham and Rahab. Here's Abraham. Many, many times you see in the scripture the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the patriarch. He was the beginning of the thing. In fact, when Jesus was being challenged by the Pharisees and they were basically calling him an illegitimate son, they said, we be Abraham's seed. Abraham was lifted up. Abraham was a man. Rahab was a woman. Now, there was a society that looked like this. Women were just... Nothing. In fact, it came almost to our age where women couldn't own real estate, women couldn't vote. There was a, a stratified society. And yet God is saying, by faith, Abraham, by faith, this woman. Abraham was a Jew, even though the word Jew comes from Judah, and that was his great-grandson. He was, Abraham was considered, you know, the... the the patriarch of the Jews. Rahab was a, a Gentile. The Jews in Jesus' time referred to Gentiles as dogs. And I will tell you, even today, if you have a Jewish um, business, I'm talking about a family business, not a monster business. If you have a Jewish business, you can work for them, but you're never going to be an officer or something like that unless you're Jewish. It's, it's still that way, okay? Abraham heard from God. We just read in chapter 22, Abraham called, and God called, and Abraham said, here I am. The angels called, and he said, here I am. Rahab didn't get that kind of a, of a calling. She heard about God. What did she hear? What did she hear about God? She was in the city of Jericho, and what happened almost 40 years early Earlier, in the Red Sea, what happened? The Red Sea was split. Then they meandered throughout the wilderness, and bunches of people got wiped out, the Amalekites almost. And, and so he, she's hearing all these things. What was her response to hearing about God? She believed him. And so her, and you can read the rest of those slides just myself, her response in faith was she was going to take care of those two spies. She didn't take care of them to be saved. She took care of them because she was saved. And I'm talking spiritual, not the physical, where they were, she and her family were, were saved out of destruction. And so back to James, he's taking two examples and he's saying these people, the high road and the low road, were both showing salvation through their works. So now we're going to come to another one of these scenes. And Luke chapter 2 is Jesus, when he was 12 years old, asking questions and answering questions. You can read that. Uh, everyone heard was amazed at understanding and his answers. He was not just asking questions. He was giving answers. And that was at the Jerusalem at age 12. Do you think he quit asking and answering questions until he was 30? No. I always talk about my grandson, Sammy. I've created a monster. 
because I would tell Bible stories and he would just drink those up. Now, what kind of a monster did I create? Okay, he leaves a car ride with Pop on. He goes into Sunday school and the poor Sunday school teacher is trying to tell a story. And he's, now wait a minute, my Papa said. <clears throat> but Jesus was a teacher. And not, he didn't wait till he was 30. He started, he, he may have been before 12, but we know that from 12 on. How do we know that? Because he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There's James, and he's listening to the wisdom of his older brother. And how does he react to that? I already told you, my brother was taller, and he was stronger, and he was smarter, and, and I was bitter. Do you think James could have been bitter? Sure, we're all sinners. We're all in this thing together. So we're now going to round the corner. We just talked about chapter 2. Here we are. We're now into chapter 3. And the very first section of chapter 3 talks about teaching. And there was James and his brother Jesus teaching for all those couple of decades where they were together. And James starts off by saying, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that he who, we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why are teachers judged more strictly? Because of their influence. That's exactly right. Now, there's a difference between studying something for your own edification versus studying something to teach it. Now, if I said, uh, Jane... I want you to come uh, and tell me next week about the battles of Lexington and Concord. Okay? And you might, uh, just off the top of your head, talk about Paul Revere and the shot heard around the world and all this other stuff. But if I said, next week you're going to tell the class about Lexington and Concord, you're probably going to do a bit of research or you're not going to show up. <laughs> We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Who would that be from the eyes of the little brother? That'd be big brother. Big brother. Okay. Decon. I'm guessing everybody somewhere around here has had some decon or something in their barn or their house. But what I find really interesting about decon is this. What portion of that ingre those ingredients is poison? 0.005%. What stuff is good stuff? The other 99.9 .9 blah, blah, blah percent, right? A teacher can give you 99.995% good stuff but if he introduces the .005 bad stuff, he could kill you. And what's worse, just like with ants, you don't want to give them enough poison that they eat it and drop dead. You want them to take it back to the, to the colony so they all drop dead, right? A teacher could put some bad stuff out there, and what happens? You take it to your colleagues. You take it to your family. And next thing you know, the, the poison has a, a multiple effect. And so teachers are more accountable than just the brothers and the sisters. So the teacher's accountability. 
Teachers will be judged more strictly by what we teach and how we teach it. The more the word we know, the more we are responsible for. Mark Twain said, it's not what's in the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's what's in the Bible that I do understand. That's the part that bothers me. And the more we teach, and the more we read, the more we're accountable for. Does that mean if I'm accountable for more, I'm not going to learn anymore? No, because you're accountable for that too then, okay? The more we teach the written word, the more like the living word we should become. We all live in a glass bowl, all right? But if you went over to, to some store and you see the pastor or John or any of the elders behaving inappropriately, what does that say? We're held to be accountable. James' purpose is not to discourage us, but to keep us aware of our failings. We all fail. So, you and your tongue, we're going to have a couple of verses up here. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death. Daniel chapter 12 says, those that win souls will shine like the stars forever. That's a long-range implication of the choice of living for Jesus by word and by deed. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. I, I put King James up there because that last phrase is so King James. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. <laughs> the tongue in James appears in every chapter. That tells me a couple of things. First, James had a tongue problem. And second, so does John. So there you see, in chapter 1, slow to speak. Chapter 2, speak and act as those will be judged. Chapter 3, no human being can tame the tongue. Does that mean the tongue cannot be tamed? No. What it means is I can't do it under my own power. Chapter 4, anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister speaks against the law and judges them. In chapter 5, it talks about swearing, and all you need to say is a simple yes or a no. To speak or not to speak, Ecclesiastes. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to fear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. And so we'll jump away from the Bible and go to some old sayings. You know, to be seen, stand up, to be heard, speak up, and to be appreciated, shut up. Well, that doesn't mean I'm going to quit because I still have two more minutes. <laughs> If I took a scale and I measured the number of things that I said and wish I didn't, and on the other thing, the number of things I didn't say and wish I did, which one do you think would be the winner? This one. Okay. Or how about Bambi? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say nothing at all. <laughs> uh, 
Did they even tell them? Okay, so a lot of people that adopt kids don't even tell them that they're adopted. I'm glad to see somebody's sinking their teeth into that early family life. It's good stuff, and I heard a preacher talking about it. I don't make this stuff up, I hear it. And it's, it's good to see that that's, that that's passing along. Uh, it's 9.45, I'm going to end with this, this story. A pastor friend of mine, Doug Rowland, Nottingham Baptist Church, he hasn't been down there for a long, long time. And this is deer hunting season, it's archery season, right? And he grew up in the bowels of Virginia, and he was an accomplished archer. And so for deer hunting season, you start practicing, right? And as he's practicing and getting better, he's moving the target farther, farther away. And you can, you can picture this, okay? And he would practice alongside the barn. Well, it got to the point where he couldn't back up anymore because there was a hillside, so he kept moving the target beyond the barn so he could practice. Well, he had a younger brother, and mom told him to go get Doug. It's time for dinner. Doug releases the arrow, and the brother walks aside from the barn. Now, I'm sure it was just a matter of a second or less for that arrow to pass by his brother. The good news is it passed by the brother, okay? That's like a spoken word. I could say something, and it immediately hits your ears because the sound, the, the speed of sound, but oh, how I could wish I could take it back. And we'll probably start with that same story with some verses behind it next week, Lord willing. We're done.